You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. morning. My name is Jeff. I'm a blessed, incredibly blessed, faithful follower of Jesus Christ, and I struggle with depression and pride. Do I not get a welcome? There we go. Good deal. That's better. See, that makes it a lot easier when we get a response there. Turn to Mark chapter 4. While you're finding your place, just a couple of things that I need to make you aware of. First, in your bulletin, uh, there is a little insert there of um, it's t- that time of the year where we are going to need to put forward some deacons to serve in the upcoming year. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, this is not a popularity contest. Uh, that's not what it's about. Look among you and uh, look at those men who are serving. Sometimes, um, sometimes they're in the background. Sometimes you have to look for them but they're there, and they have a humble spirit about them. And uh, you pray about that. And, of course, review First Timothy chapter 3. You'll see some qualifications there. We'll talk about those in the weeks ahead. And just write some names down for us, and uh, we would appreciate that. Secondly, we have a unique, unique opportunity today. Uh, as soon as we get done, uh, there is going to be a Haitian church that is going to be using our facility at 1 o'clock today for a worship service. They normally meet at the association office, and because of uh, a water problem, they don't have any water at the association office, they're going to be coming here. So here's what I need you to do. As you leave today, you're going to be greeting people who are coming in for a one o'clock service with this Haitian church. There's about 40 of them. I want you to make them feel like they are kings and queens. I want you to love them. I want you to greet them. I want you to tell them how great you are that they're here because we are great. It is awesome that they're going to be able to be here today. So I want you to do that as you walk out today because you're going to see some new faces come in. Make them feel welcome. I would greatly appreciate that. Mark chapter 4. You, you've already heard an incredible sermon today, both through testimonies and, and through song. And I, I just want to say thank you to Kimball and Jessica. It takes an incredible amount of fortitude and courage and trust in the Lord to step up on this stage and share what they've shared this morning. And part of what them sharing in front of you this morning is part of their recovery journey. So give them a round of applause this morning. So why, why is it that we, that we began this ministry? What, what was the point? Um, I think it's becoming kind of clear. Celebrate Recovery is a discipleship ministry, and we as a church have made a commitment to make disciples. We are committed as a church body to make disciples, and I just want you to know that, that making disciples is messy, messy work. I have the privilege of teaching at Carolina Bible College, and uh, I tell my students on a regular basis that as Christ followers and as, as they fulfill the ministry calling that they have in their lives, some of them don't even know what that is yet, I, I tell them that, that as Christians, we, we have been called to make disciples of all nations. Listen, it's a whole lot easier to make converts than disciples. 
So I tell them at the onset of the first day of class, I said, look, if you have made a commitment to make disciples, you've made a commitment to a hard, difficult task. Thankfully, we've not been left to ourselves. But when we make the commitment to do and to make disciples as Christ has commanded us to, we're talking about life on life here. And I don't know about you, but my life can get pretty messy. I'm pretty sure yours is too. It's difficult work. Sometimes it's heartbreaking. And it drives you to your knees. Because we recognize that, first of all, a disciple is someone who's following Jesus day in and day out. Not just on Sunday mornings, but day in and day out. And also disciples make other disciples. A disciple has no problem bringing Jesus up. So as a church body, we've made the commitment to do exactly that. And because we've made that commitment to do that, it is difficult work. Hard work. You see, Jesus in, in Mark chapter 4, he, he is, He's called together 12 men. 12 men you would not have selected if you were going to start a global ministry. You would not have selected these 12. Because you know what's going on with these 12? All 12 of them have all kinds of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. These are broken men. Rough men. Men who... Quite frankly, much of the world had disassociated with. But it's as though Jesus purposely went after these 12. And isn't it amazing how Jesus always sees something in us that we never see in ourselves? Isn't it amazing how when he pursues us with his grace and his mercy, and, and you finally come to this place where you recognize that grace and that mercy and that love, you, you have to come to this conclusion as, God, why in the world would you come after me? I... I had a moment in my office this week where I just, I could not imagine in my mind why God would have pursued me and called me and gave me a church like this to serve. I, I couldn't figure that out. And God says, it's okay if you can't figure it out. This is a gift of my love and my grace and my mercy. You just accept it and do what I've told you to do. <laughs> he calls these 12 together and the, the crowds have gotten so large that Jesus is going to push off the shore in a boat. And just like Jesus does so often, he begins to teach in parables. I love parables. Because no matter how many times you read them, you find some deep new nuance or nugget of truth within that beautiful, amazing, incredible teaching of Jesus. And what's amazing about parables is they seem rather simplistic. Oh, but they're anything but. Jesus is going to begin teaching in parables. And, and initially, he's going to speak to the whole crowd. And as the day goes on, the crowd's going to dissipate. And then Jesus is going to take this opportunity to pour into the twelve. Now, you've got to realize something here. What we know about the twelve and what we know about the church and what we know about what's going to happen at Pentecost, they are not aware of that at this moment. This is early, very early in their walk with Jesus they they see this man named Jesus. He there's something about him. He he's obviously a great teacher. There's something about him. And these twelve walk away from everything to follow Jesus. But they have no idea what's coming. They have no idea at this point that that Jesus is going to expect eleven of these twelve to take the good news of the gospel globally. 
it's amazing when you when you read the early parts of the gospel that the the disciples are so naive at this point they have no idea but jesus at this moment after the crowds have dissipated I don't know if Jesus is still in the boat. I, I kind of think that he is. I kind of think that Jesus is still in the boat because if you look a little further, Jesus says, get in the boat. We're going to go across to the other side. So I think that Jesus may be still in the boat and maybe he invites the 12 in with him or maybe Jesus gets on the shore and sits down with them. But nonetheless, Jesus turns his attention towards these 12 because Jesus knows what's coming for them and what their responsibility is going to be. So he begins to teach them in parables. One of the things I love about Scripture is how that God takes the insignificant things in our life and turns them into magnificent, beautiful, massive things. You just heard Kimball share in his testimony that a simple choice, a simple decision where he was invited, his choral group was invited to go to a church and sing, something he he probably wouldn't have chose in another setting, but, but in that moment, A series of choices were made, single, individual, seemingly insignificant choices that brought him into a church. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in his testimony, he said it was afterwards. The love that he felt from the congregation and the people that he met did something in him because he had been taught that Jesus was evil. Well, how could Jesus be evil when these people are loving me the way that they're loving me? And it began a journey. For Jessica, you heard in her testimony Something is insignificant is bringing her son to sign up for upward soccer. God used that single moment, that single decision to bring about a whole series of events. You look through the, you look through the scriptures, you find it over and over again, don't you? I mean, you find it over and over again. These single, seemingly insignificant decisions in a moment in time that changes everything. I was reading this week about Thomas Jefferson where he commissioned two men, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, to find the source of the Missouri River. Now, the reason that Thomas Jefferson wanted to do this is he wanted to to continue the westward motion uh, of going further, further west, making it all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And Jefferson had in his mind that somewhere at the headwaters of the Missouri, the longest river in North America, 2,341 miles long, Jefferson thought that there was another source of water or another body of water that could carry Lewis and Clark all the way to the Pacific. So there was two goals in mind. First of all, find the headwaters of the Missouri. Second of all, see if there's another body of water that can carry us further westward. Well, Lewis and Clark spent 15 months navigating up the Missouri River. And two things happen. One, they don't find any other body of water that seems like it's going to take them west. But when they get to the headwaters of the, of the Missouri rivers, right up around the Montana-Idaho border, you know what they find? A little small spring. A spring that's so small that you could stand with one foot on one side and one foot on the other. And the men that were there that day were blown away that they'd spend 15 months, 2,300 miles on a river that begins with a little stream coming out of the ground. And one of the one of the expedition people that was there was standing with one foot on one side, one foot on the other, marveling at the beauty and the creativity of God. Think about your life. Wasn't it those small, seemingly insignificant choices that you made that changed everything, either good or bad? Jesus is going to teach a single, really simplistic parable 
to prepare the disciples for what they don't even know is going to happen. It's a single little insignificant point in time where Jesus is going to talk about some seed, some sowers, a harvest, an agricultural life as it was in Jesus' day. But what's going to be amazing is when you begin to see the whole story, as you know the whole story is, that these 11 men are going to make an incredible impact. And it goes back to what Jesus says about the kingdom of God right here in chapter 4 of Mark. I want you to write something down to kind of set the tone for what we're going to look at. Write down this sentence. No farmer would ever expect a harvest without sowing seed. Seems kind of simplistic, doesn't it? I mean, imagine that. I know some of you have a garden and maybe some of you grew up on a farm. Maybe to this day you're farming. You've got massive farms now. How ludicrous would it be to go out to a field that you have not prepared or sown any seed in and expect to see corn or apples? It's ludicrous, right? Well, let's look at the parable. Jesus says this, verse 26. Now, he's he's already given a... Uh, One parable of incredible influence about sowing seed. Now, now this this parable, the parables that Jesus uses here in chapter 4, is going to draw the disciples in. They're going to be leaning forward into Jesus, wanting to understand what is Jesus talking about when he talks about seed and sowing and harvesting. What is he talking about? And, of course, Jesus is going to reveal to these 12 exactly what these parables mean. So let's take a look at verse 26. And he said... The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So let's start out with the sower. If you want to write down in your notes right under that last sentence, let's just write down the word sower. What is Jesus talking about? Is he, is he simply giving some techniques on how to plant a good garden? Or is there something more here? Well, with parables, there's always something more. He says in verse 26, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed. You first, first of all, Jesus starts talking about the sower. If you go back to the previous parable, you find the same beginning, that there is a sower who must go into the field to sow seeds. And without the sower, no seeds get sown. Well, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? Someone must sow seed if we're ever going to see a harvest. Well, who is the sower? Well, the sower is the one who's found freedom and forgiveness in Christ. We call them disciples. The disciple who's found the truth been changed from the inside out by that truth. But what, what truth are we talking about? What the good news of the gospel? What is the good news of the gospel? The good news is, is that there's been a rescuer who's come. We just sung about him. And he laid down his life where you should have had to lay down yours. The perfect Son of God, no sin, no evil, The Bible says that there was no guile in his mouth. In other words, even his speech was perfect. His thoughts were perfect. His actions were perfect. And Jesus lays down his life for an imperfect, fallen, sinful, evil humanity. The good news is is that you can have a brand new life, a brand new start. You can have a do-over through what Jesus Christ offers through his death and through his resurrection. The sower goes and sows 
the seed. The sower goes into the fields where broken people are and shares the truth of God's Word. The sower has to go sow the seed. You know, we can talk about the seeds. We can learn every part of the seed. We can spend intensive study just looking at the seed. We can buy equipment to sow the seed. We can have training sessions on how to run the equipment on how to sow the seeds. We can talk about all the fields out there that have no seeds in them. We can have conferences where all we talk about is sowing the seed. But friends, can I tell you, somebody's got to go out into the fields where it's hard and broken and dry and messed up, and somebody's got to sow the seed. We can spend all of our life locked up in a building talking about how great the gospel is, but if somebody doesn't take the effort to tell somebody about the power of the gospel and the truth that we found and the, and the freedom that we found in Christ, then we are failing as our ministry and as our mission. Isn't it amazing? We love the gospel. We love Jesus. But we'd rather talk about it inside of a building than to the person out there who's broken and needs it most. You see, somebody made a sacrifice and came and told you about it, didn't they? Somebody walked into the cold, broken, dry ground that you were living in, whether you were 8 years old or 80 years old, and you heard the gospel and you responded, thank God for those before us who shared the gospel with us. What field are you sowing seeds in? Where are you looking for the broken, for those who've given up on hope? I want to show you something. I didn't show you this at the first service. I kind of skipped right on the kip. I want to show you something. Throw that, throw that up on the screen there. I was handed this. I'm on the board of directors. Anybody sow any seeds? So let's take a look at the seed. If we have a sower and the sower must go, then he must go with seed. Notice if a man should scatter seed on the ground. What are we actually doing? Well, you probably already figured out. The seed is the good news of the gospel. That's how Jesus portrays this in the parable. So we're going into a field and we're going to sow seeds. What are we sowing? We're sowing the good news of the gospel. The same thing that changed you and made you a Christ follower, a disciple, then we go into the fields and we, we share that with other people. And based on those statistics, we're not being as effective today as we were in 1972, especially among that age group. Isn't that amazing? When you begin to think about all the effort and work that God has done, the miraculous work that God has done to provide you with an English translation 
of His perfect Word. It will blow your mind. You think about all the people who've died down through history to provide us with an accurate account of God's Word. And, and you don't have to learn Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. It's in your language, and it's accurate. It's, it's exactly what God wants us to know about the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have everything that you need. And God went to incredible lengths to make sure we have an accurate seed to go into the field and sow. It's the words of God that bring life to a dead, thirsty, sin-broken soul. I heard the gospel over and over again. By the time I was, I remember it distinctly from the time I was about 11 to 16. And for years, it was just words, just words. But man, there was that one time, multiple times leading up to when I was 16, that it, it came to life. And I began to realize that it was truth among a myriad of lies that I've been believing for so long. And it became a beacon of light that the Holy Spirit drawed me to the King and said, I could understand it clearly in my heart, that this is the only opportunity that I will ever have to have a brand new life. And I took it. I acted on it by faith. The power of God's Word. It can change a life. It can change you. But it has to be sown somewhere. Notice what happens next. He says, first there's a sower. You need to write that down. There's a seed. The sower is a disciple of Jesus. The seed is the gospel truth. And third, there must be some soil for it to land on the ground. Uh, the sower, he's going to sleep and he's going to rise night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. You see, the seed has such power that it has the ability to change the life. We continue to tend. We continue to follow up. We continue to engage. We continue to go back to the fields where we're sowing the seed to see what God is doing. You know why? Because we're expecting God to do something. Because the truth of the gospel, man, it, it's powerful. So we have an expectation that God is moving and working, but it must land in a soil that is prepared to receive it. You see, the hearers of Jesus' parable understood that, that, and he illustrates it well in the first parable, that you just can't throw seed out on a piece of cement or rock and expect it to work. We must prepare that soil, and when that soil is prepared, it receives that word as the Holy Spirit leads, and then the Holy Spirit does a work inside that life. And it's amazing. It's amazing to me the change that God can make. Why do you think the Bible keeps referring over and over and over again to your heart? We see this especially in the New Testament and, of course, in the Old Testament too, but especially in the New Testament when we're talking about the gospel. Why is it we always talk about the heart? We're not talking about the muscle inside your chest that's pumping blood. We're talking about the real you. This is important. The real you, the image of God, the, the one that has the ability to choose, the, the one that has a will that God gave you. And that, that will means that you, you get to make some choices in your life. You know, God did something very risky when he created us. He created us with the ability to choose. And God knew that we would choose to walk away from him. But, but God was not going to be satisfied just creating a bunch of 
robots who could do nothing else other than worship him. So God says, okay, I'm going to give you the ability to choose. So you have the ability to choose. That's part of God's image in you. And that heart, the Bible talks about that soil that the seed is being sown on, that heart must surrender completely to Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. Surrendering, giving up. How many are you ready to give up? Are you ready to give up? How's the world working out for you? How is all the solutions to 10 steps to a better you? How is that working for you? Has it fixed the problem? No, it hasn't fixed the problem. It's only been treating the symptoms. The problem is a problem with the heart. Jeremiah says that in chapter 17, he says that the heart, the human heart, is desperately wicked. Who can know the depths of it? Just imagine, if you could, for a moment, of all the thoughts that have ran through your head just over the weekend. They're not all pure, are they? It's because there's a heart that is desperately wicked. So when we talk about the the gospel, the seed of the gospel, it has as its target the heart, the will, the volition. Because that's where change happens is in the heart. You've probably been trying to change that other person for quite some time, haven't you? You have been trying to change them. And you've been treating symptom after symptom after symptom, and you're frustrated, you're about to throw your hands up. It's because you've never dealt with the heart problem. And only Jesus can do that. Not only that, you you may have enabled some of the poor choices down through the years. I mean, you tried to you tried to appease the person, you tried to to love them, you tried to do all these things, and in all of that, you ended up enabling what they were doing rather than seeing any kind of change in their life. And that's because Christ is the one who makes the change in the heart through the gospel, the seeds that are being sown. So we have the sower, the seed, the soul. Notice this, the season. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The the sower keeps going back, rising up night and day. You know what he's doing? The farmer's going back and he's checking on the field. You know why? Because every farmer expects a harvest. If we understand the, the power of the gospel, if we understand fully understand what God did when He called us out of darkness in the law. I'm fully convinced that you've got to know what God's done in your life where you can effectively share it with anyone else. And when you lean into that, and when you begin to understand all that God did by adopting you and loving you right in your own brokenness, then you get excited. Then you're ready to share it. Then, when you share the gospel, you no longer have these thoughts running through your head that sounds something like this. Well, I'm going to tell them about Jesus, but it's not going to do any good. Man, I'm glad nobody thought like, towards me that way. Church, let me ask you, have you have you become cynical towards the gospel because you've seen so many people just walk away? Is that cynicism building up where you've just gotten to the part where you're not going to talk about Jesus? What difference is it going to make anyway? Christian, you are in a sad desperate place. The seeds that we're sowing, I believe and I expect a harvest. No farmer plants seeds 
not expecting some kind of harvest. Just like we don't expect a harvest with those seeds. The gospel itself, that seed itself, has the power to change a life. And I still believe it just as much today, even more so than I did 25 years ago. I've seen the evidence of it, not only in my life, but in yours. The harvest. The sower, the seed, the soul, and then the season comes. It is our responsibility to expect the harvest. Yeah, it's hard work. It's difficult. I had a pastor come by this week, a church in the community, and he was struggling with a situation in his church, and and, and he, he didn't know how to handle it. I've been there many times, pretty much weekly, actually. Uh, and, and he comes, and I'd never met him before. And he comes in, and he sits down, and he begins to share what's going on. And then, and then he says this. He says, the reason I came here is because your church is known for running towards broken people. And I said, Yes. That's a testimony I want to have. And I'll accept all the hardship. I'll accept all the difficulty. Yes, I'll accept the times where people are doing well and then for whatever reason, it goes south. I'll accept the pain that comes with it. I'll accept the hardship that comes with it. Because I believe in the power of the gospel to change life. And the day that I stop believing that will be the day that I stop doing this and go back and do something else. That day's not coming. I want to sow seeds expecting a harvest. And I know that seed has as its target the heart. And I know that heart work is difficult work. Disciple making is difficult work, but church body, we can't make converts. We have to make disciples. This is why we have Celebrate Recovery, because we live in a broken, broken county. Listen, when I go to my meetings that, and I'm interacting with pastors from other parts of the state, and I, and I say these words, the question is going to come up, well, where are you serving? And I'll say, well, I'm in Lumberton, down in Robinson County. And they go, oh, Yeah, you've had that happen, haven't you? Yeah. And you know what I think some of them think? I think they believe that Robinson County is a lost cause. What do you believe, Christian? What do you believe, disciple? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe it's not a lack of power in the gospel. It's not a lack of power in God's Word. It's not a lack of God's desire to see the broken transformed. I'll tell you where the lack is. The lack is sowers going to sow seed expecting a harvest. So maybe, maybe it's time that we remember all that God has done for us. And be willing to share that with another person who's about to give up on hope. Because church, I want us to run even faster. Run even harder. Go to the darkest places of Robinson County and beyond. And show them the love of Christ that we found.
Father in heaven, you are good and perfect and holy. and We didn't deserve any of your goodness, but yet you poured it out on us. So, Father, now it's time for a commitment. Because I believe that your word is powerful. I believe that you've begun to work in the hearts of people here this morning already. And I know that sitting in this room are people who are desperate. Some are some have been hurt terribly this week. And Father, through the testimonies, through the singing, and through the sharing this morning, you've begun to dismantle a heart. And Father, that work is painful, but it's needed. And for the lost person, Father, for the first time, maybe the first time ever, the, the scales have come off their eyes a little bit, and they've begun to see the truth shimmering right in front of their eyes. It's been there the whole time. And Father, now more than anything else, because of the drawing power of the Holy Spirit, they want a new life. And they're willing to lay theirs down, surrender completely to Jesus Christ the righteous. I believe this morning is a time for them to respond. And yes, respond publicly. No mask. I also believe, Father, there are disciples in this room who've grown cynical towards the gospel. And, Father, it comes from a place where they've been praying for someone for years and years, and they've just given up of seeing that person ever change. And, Father, I believe it's time for their hearts to be energized that begins with repentance. And, Father, I believe there's some disciples in this room who are being called. Every single believer in Christ is called as a sower to sow the seeds of the truth of the gospel. And may that begin in our homes. May that begin in our job place. And may that begin in our own streets. But Father, it has to begin because if we're going to see a harvest, somebody's got to sow the seed. We ask all this in the powerful name of Christ. And as we sing together, there be any that need to respond. Let them respond right now. Not any fear, not any holding back, not any worrying about what anybody else is thinking. Lord, put all that to the side. All of it to the side. If they need you, let nothing stop them from responding. I'm available. Many others are. This whole CR team will put their instruments down and meet them at their point of need. We love you. We thank you. We seek your face this morning in all things we ask. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.